Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that because his blood was shed, because his body was broken, because he took our place in death, that our debt of sin has been canceled, the ransom has been paid, the penalty has been fulfilled. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He took our place and death. And because of this, we get to stand before you in life and we praise you and we thank you. Thank you for this good news of the gospel. And Lord, we confess that it's easy to hear that message and to sing that message and to become immune to it, to become indifferent to it. And fathers, we open your word this morning and we consider what it means to put our trust in the right things versus the wrong things. Lord, we we just confess we can easily become a self-sufficient and self-focused people. We can take our eyes off of you. We can take our eyes off of what you've done and of what you are doing and what you desire to do through us if we will trust you in faith. So fathers, we open up your word together today. Help us to be captivated once again by the supernatural power of your presence within us to be humbled once again and to worship once again and to praise once again the name of your son, Jesus Christ, for all that he's done. So Father, today will you speak to us a word that will edify your church and glorify your name. You sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Will you speak to us now? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can go and have a seat. Uh, Good morning. It's so good to be back with you today. I was away last weekend and unfortunately brought uh, some pretty nasty head crud back with me. So my my apologies for the uh, Johnny Cash impersonation together this morning. Just trying to power through uh, round two here together today. Thank you so much to Dustin for for sharing the word um, with us last week. And again, if you drifted in a little bit late and missed this on the front end, um, we typically everything up on screens for lyrics and for the message. Um, But that's all been permanently installed at the facility, which is a good thing, uh, but it leaves us without and here for now. And so um, if you don't have a Bible, those lyric sheets have um, the text that we're going to look at this morning printed on it for you. Um, But if you want to turn your Bible, Acts chapter 3, we're going to look together at verses 1 through 10 together this morning. Acts 3, 1 through 10. So again, you can either turn in your Bible. Uh, We've printed that text on the lyric sheet for you. Uh, Also, you should have gotten a worship guide on the way in uh, together as we uh, walk through this text um, this morning. I don't normally do this whenever whenever we're starting off a message week to week, but we had a few things that I just wanted to to be able to celebrate together at the beginning of our time that that really sets up where we're going to go in Acts 3 this morning. Um, First thing is is kind of unrelated to the others, but I want to make sure we celebrate it nonetheless. Um, Dave kind of mentioned this earlier, but not really. Uh, If you guys don't know Dave Eatman, Dave who just did the welcome and did our reading for us today, um, Dave uh, is a member of our pastoral staff, uh, but behind the scenes the last couple of years, Dave has been taking steps to become a reserve chaplain with the Navy. And uh, so Dave was gone for a couple of months working remotely, was at the Naval Chaplain School up in Rhode Island, uh, where the weather was not at all like it is in Beaufort, South Carolina uh, this this time of the year. And we just want to be able to celebrate this morning. Last Tuesday, Dave graduated from the Naval Chaplain School. He's in the back, back of the room. Turn around and look at him. 
make his face turn red. We're, we're so grateful um, for Dave, for your service to our church, and for your service to, to our nation, man. It's just, it's just a privilege uh, to, to serve together with you, brother. Um, second thing that I want to be able to celebrate this morning, you know, we don't talk about attendance numbers a lot as, as a church, but I thought this was worthy of celebrating um, today. You know, when the, the uh, calendar turned to 2023, I think I think pretty much all of us expected to be celebrating our first Easter Sunday, our first Resurrection Sunday in our new facility, and that obviously did not happen. I know there was some disappointment with that, but I think because of the disappointment, it would have been really easy for us just to kind of mail in an effort on that day, but man, we did not miss a beat this year. And for the very first time as a church family, Resurrection Sunday two weeks ago, we had over a thousand adults and children join us for worship uh, that day. So we just praise God um, that that many people heard the gospel that day, and many of you were, were, were friends that were invited by you, and um, I just wanted to be able to say thank you, because I know many of you served across multiple services that day. It was packed out in this room, and I saw many of you getting up and giving up seats to others who had not been here before. I just want to thank you as a church family uh, that we just continue to faithfully follow Jesus, in spite of a little bit of a disappointment. But on the good news on that front, uh, guys, our, our completion of our permanent facility is is imminent. I'm going to give uh, some some more updates at the end of our time of worship together today. But man, we we are like painfully close right now, and uh, it's it's just a really exciting time. It's a really exciting season for our church. There's a lot to celebrate, but even as we celebrate those things, I think you and I and our congregation we face a unique challenge in the next season we're about to step into. And that challenge is that we would start to put our trust in the wrong things. I mean, it's, it's good and right true that we celebrate. Man, two weeks ago, a thousand people heard the gospel. It's good to celebrate. The Lord's provided us with this facility. We're about to move in. But if we're not careful, we're going to end up basing success on those things. And those things do not automatically mean success. If we're not careful, we will face the temptation to put our trust in all of the wrong things. Last Monday morning, um, our elder team met over at the facility, and we meet a, we meet a couple times a month, and um, this was our early morning meeting. We met there at 6.30 in the morning, and we wanted our first official act as, as leaders of this church in that space to simply cover the whole place in prayer. And so 6.30 in the morning, we started outside, and then we moved our way all the way through the lobby and the classrooms and, and landed in the sanctuary. And we, we just prayed over every corner of that building. We wanted to, to start in this posture of dependence and desperation. We want to thank the Lord for what he'd given to us and be praying for the ministry that's going to be happening in that space and the people that are going to be walking through those doors. And we're praying for you. And at the end of that time of prayer, Alex Holroyd, who serves on our elder team, shared a word that the Lord had just laid on his heart while we were praying. He said, you know, if you, you look at the development of churches, um, churches tend to start out as a mission. You know, it's just, just kind of organic, and it's, it's a little bit messy, and it can be a little bit chaotic, and, and there can be some fear because we're just stepping out in faith and just trusting the Lord to lead and to provide. And, and it looks like over time, you know, not a whole lot is happening, but man, we're people, we're together, we're on mission. And over time, that mission becomes a movement. You know, what started kind of slow is now starting to grow and people are coming to faith in Christ and they're being baptized and the church is growing and it's exciting and we want to be a part of it. And we're eager and we're reaching our community. But if we're not careful, what ends up happening over time is that we go from being a mission into a movement and then to a monument. And whenever we shift from being a movement to becoming a monument, we go from being a part of something that is supernatural to now becoming part of something that's superficial. 
if I could carry that out a little bit this morning, this is, I think, the danger that's ahead of us for the rest of the year, is that you and I become people who move from being participants in a movement to becoming the protectors of a monument. And I don't want that to happen. I don't think any of us want that to happen. I think it's, it's fitting this morning that, that we have this transitional time. You know, we don't have screens and you got the Xerox hymnal in your hands this morning and, and it's just, it's all just kind of stripped down. I think it's good that we do these things occasionally so that we can remember that is not where the power of the church lies. The power of the church is not in the place that it meets. The power of the church is not in the number of people that attend. The power of the church is found in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 3 is is a passage of scripture that is very precious to us as a church family, and some of you know why. Our very first service that we held, January 22nd, 2017, this was the very first message I ever preached, the very first text I ever preached whenever our church gathered together. Because we wanted the message from day one to be, we are not putting our confidence in anything other than the name of Jesus. Centering on those words of Peter and John, silver and gold we do not have. What we do have, we give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The second time we looked at this passage was Easter 2020, where we met at a drive-in movie theater. Who was there? Because everything was shut down, right? Because what we wanted the message to be three years later was once again, listen, our confidence is not in a place. In spite of all the challenges we faced that year, we were just so bold and saying, Jesus is going to keep building his church. He's not limited by this. He's not shutting anything down. Even though the world has been shut down, the tomb is still empty. And that is where the power of the gospel lies, is not in a full building, but in an empty tomb. And so we come back to this text three years later, once again, in a transitional season. But here's the different space that we're in now. It was really easy, honestly, as a church plant in 2017 to preach silver and gold we do not have, because silver and gold we did not have. Like, man, brand new church, like, we're just trying to get off the ground. We're just trying to survive. We had no choice but to be dependent upon the Lord. I'll never forget, like, there, there, was, there was this day not long before we launched that I was in the auditorium at Buford High School, and the room was empty. And I remember standing on that stage and walking and praying and just saying to the Lord, Lord, I hope the gospel is enough because it's all that we have. It's all that we have. And guess what, guys? Six years later, it's been enough. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been enough. The name of Jesus Christ has been enough. But here's the temptation we face now that's on the opposite side, is now we do have some silver and gold. Now we do do have a a stronger budget. Now we do have a, a place of worship where we can meet. And if we're not careful, we'll put our confidence in all the wrong things. And so that's what we're gonna do in Acts chapter three this morning. We're gonna look at this at a different angle than we did at those other two occasions. In Acts chapter three, we're gonna look at the difference between superficial evidences of power and supernatural evidences of power so that as we make this shift in the coming weeks, we've got our minds focused on the right things. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 3 is that supernatural movements of God are driven by the power of the name of Jesus. We learn early on in this passage that there's a man who has been paralyzed since birth. He's not been able to walk. This condition plagued him for his entire life. He's permanently disabled. He's totally dependent on others to transport him. And he's approached by Peter and John who come to him in the power of the name of Jesus. And it's through the power of Jesus's name that this man is healed and he's set free. So let's read again from Acts chapter three, verses one through five. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. 
And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. Listen to this. As did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 1 says they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So this was around three o'clock in the afternoon. And this was a time of the day where thousands of people would be pouring into the temple for prayer. And there's a man that they would bring daily to the gate of the temple that was called the beautiful gate. Uh, most scholars believe that this was the gate of Nicanor. It was a large, just, I mean, just breathtaking portal that was made of Corinthian brass. And they laid him there so that he could ask for alms. Now you might remember as we studied the Sermon on the Mount last year that almsgiving was uh, required practice within the Jewish faith. It was one of the pillars of the Jewish faith, along with praying and fasting. And typically gifts would be collected weekly in the synagogue and, and financial gifts would be distributed or food would be distributed to those who were in need. So it was common for beggars to come into the temple area itself. They knew that others were commanded to give. And so they put themselves in positions where they could receive. But what we also saw from Jesus in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is that not everybody who gave did so because they had the right motivation. You know, the Pharisees didn't give to people necessarily because they just really wanted to help them. The Pharisees would give to others because they wanted to be seen for their generosity. It was very self-righteous. Their giving was a show. It was, it was like Instagram hospitality. You know what I'm talking about? Like this is like a plague for my generation. We're happy to serve the poor as long as somebody gets it on camera. And that was the mentality of the Pharisees. Like, so, so even when they did serve someone, they weren't serving them as much as they were using them. And so this was very common practice. So on the rare occasion that someone actually did stop and help someone like this, it's not because they were seriously concerned for them. It's because they were seeking attention for themselves. So you can just imagine this picture here. You've got this gorgeous facility You've got this breathtaking brass door, thousands of people gathering regularly for prayer, and in the middle of this picture, you've got a man who can't walk. Beautiful, elaborate facility, beautiful door, thousands of people, all of it absolutely powerless to help him. And verse 3 says that seeing Peter and John, he asked to receive alms. And verse 4 says that Peter and John directed their gaze at him and said, look at us. This language directed their gaze. It, 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 it explicitly speaks to a, a fastening or fixing of their eyes. They locked in on this man. Everybody else is just walking in. Everybody else is just drifting in. Lots of people, quote unquote, saw him, but in this moment, they really saw him. They demanded his attention. And you, you, you think about this, like to be a man with this type of disability in this time, this culture, it was the ultimate marker of humiliation and shame. That's why his head is hung in the first place. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. He can't provide for himself. He can't provide for any member of his family. He has to live totally dependent on everybody else for everything that he needs. Every single day, somebody's got to carry him there, and every single day, somebody has to carry him home. When's the last time somebody's wanted to look into this man's eyes? When is the last time he's wanted to be seen by anybody else? And what they are doing in this moment is they are calling him out of his shame, to look them in the eyes because they want to give something to him. People would carry him there every single day. Thousands of people walked by to this beautiful building and none of it was powerful enough to give him what 
he needed. The beauty of the temple couldn't rescue him. The brass door couldn't rescue him. The the big crowd couldn't rescue him. All of the gold and silver could not rescue him and give him what he needed most. And church, if we're not careful, we will look at every single one of those things. Places of worship where we meet, large crowds of people coming, large sums of money. If you and I are not careful, we will put our confidence in those things instead of the name of Jesus Christ, which is the only power to truly save. And so so we're going to do for just a couple minutes here is I want to look at four superficial evidences of power. Again, we don't have screens this morning. If you've got a worship guide, you can track along with us here. I want to show us four superficial evidences of power from this text. First superficial evidence of power has to do with place. Place is about overemphasizing land and facilities. You know, I think we quickly forget sometimes that the early church, you know, they, they did still meet in public places. They still met in synagogues. They still met in temples. Sometimes you'll hear people say they only met in homes, but the New Testament doesn't support that. They did still meet in public places, yet at the same time, that they just did not have much to their name that this, this was really kind of a, an outcast religious sect that was, that was seen in the eyes of the Jewish people really as, as an abandonment of the faith. And so their confidence was not at all in the temple. Their confidence was not at all in the places of worship. Their confidence was in the power of the name of Jesus. And, and if we're not careful, man, we will put all of our confidence in place. I think some of us, like what we've really needed to do for the last few years is meet in a gym so that we could remember the gospel of Jesus Christ is not limited by where we meet. This is what I'm worried we're going to forget in the near future. I'm worried we're going to forget that, that we met at Buford High School and that we met at Islands Academy in 2018 where the AC barely worked. And, and we've met here in a gym at the Y for the last four and a half years. And we met at a drive-in movie theater back in 2020 because everything was shut down. And we've met in schools and we've met in fields and we met online for goodness sake for 12 weeks because we couldn't get in here. And yet in no way, shape or form has the mission been limited. The power of God's word is in no way, shape, or form been limited. The mission has not been limited. The power of the name of Jesus has not been limited. This is what I'm really worried is going to happen here in a few weeks when we start meeting in that building, is we're going to get over there, and some are going to be so fixated on what we do or don't like about it that we're not even going to be able to worship that day. And listen, if you find yourself in that place at that moment, I just want to nudge you with this. You've completely missed the point. The power of the church is not in the place that it meets. The power of the church is in the gospel that it preaches. We do not find power in place. Second superficial evidence, programs. This has to do with empty religious activity. We're told here that it was the ninth hour. It was the hour of prayer. And so this is a normal rhythm and routine for people. And listen, we're going to see in just a moment, there absolutely is power in prayer. Amen? I mean, man, if, if, we are, if we are prayerless, then we are powerless. We have nothing. There absolutely is power in prayer, but how many people showed up to prayer time just kind of going through the motions, passively walking by this man like he doesn't exist? And, and we convince ourselves sometimes, I think, that because we're, we, we have a lot of spiritual activity that is translating to spiritual maturity, but activity does not always mean maturity. Listen, I know people who have been professing followers of Jesus for 50 years, They've never missed a Sunday. They've read all the books. They've been to all the conferences. They got more head knowledge than you can begin to imagine. Have never shared the gospel with anyone. And on the other side of that, man, I know some believers who have been believers for like six months. 
And they don't know their whole Bible yet, and, and they might not be clear on their doctrinal and theological positions, and they might not have all the answers that, that we feel like they should have. But man, what they do know is Jesus Christ has transformed their lives from the inside out, and they want to tell anybody who's going to listen. That's maturity. Lord willing, we're going to study the book of James beginning here in a few weeks. And what does James warn us? He says, faith without works is what? It's dead. Activity does not always mean maturity. Faith without works is dead. Thousands of people pouring in for a religious program, completely walking by the person who needed them the most. Our power does not lie in the number of people who attend. That's the third superficial evidence of power is people. It's just assuming, like, like, hey, lots of people are participating. That must mean everything's good. Church, please, please hear me out this morning. There is no greater fool's gold in the American church than high attendance on Sunday morning. There's no greater fool's gold in the American church than high attendance on Sunday morning. Some of the largest churches in America will gather together this morning and the leaders of those churches won't even crack open a Bible. And again, you can point to all the people that, that we want. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is not being proclaimed, then it's a fool's gold. That that's a wide road that's leading to destruction. Having a lot of people attend. And we can rejoice if the gospel is being proclaimed, if the word is being taught, if disciples are being made, if the mission is being advanced. If that's all happening, then praise God. But if it's not, I think we have to take a step back and have a healthy skepticism about these things. I missed all the verses in the New Testament where Jesus says, if a lot of people are doing it, it means it's good. But we have to be so, so careful that we not just look at, at lots of people participating and say, hey, that means it's working. That, that means that we're successful. That can be a superficial evidence of our fourth superficial evidence, our possessions. It's trusting in financial and material resources. They had the beautiful temple. They had the beautiful gate. That they, they gave of, of alms to, to those who were in need, but money could not save this man. Every single person gathered there that day could have completely emptied their pockets and it still would not have given this man everything he needed. It wouldn't have been enough. You know, I was uh, looking at some of this a, a couple of weeks ago and I'm, I'm not totally in tune with all these things the way that I, that I used to be, but every once in a while, I'm just, just curious to kind of see where stuff is, is landing. And, and you know, what I realized the other day is like, you know, from where we started in 2017 as a church, where we started there, our, our budget this year is eight times where we started six years ago. Like the Lord has really entrusted us with, with some resources and we praise God for that. But guys, this is the temptation over and over and over again is that we will start trusting in those things rather than in the God who provided them. When our focus starts to be, look at how much money we have as a church. Look at this beautiful building that we have. Look at how many people are attending. Look at all these programs that we're offering. If we're not careful, we will be hiding behind the illusion of power and not actual power. You know, it's been said um, back in the 13th century that there was a tense uh, interchange between the Pope and Thomas Aquinas um, where this very specific passage was invoked. There was a group of Catholic leaders that were gathered together and they were counting this very large sum of money. And as all this money's being counted, the Pope very arrogantly boasted, well, we no longer have to say with Peter and John, silver and gold we do not have. And it's been said that in that moment, Thomas Aquinas looked at the Pope and said, and neither can you say with Peter and John, rise up and walk. 
The power of the church is not in the place that we meet. The power of the church is not in the number of people who attend. The power of the church is not in the programs that we offer. It's not in the financial material possessions that we have. The power of the church is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. It's only found in the name of Jesus. Let's read verses 6 through 10 and round this passage out. Verse 6, it says, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. For what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want to call it, just, just call a timeout here really quickly and just uh, ask us to look at a detail here again. This man, he's carried here every single day so that he can ask for alms. This is how he gets a living. This is how he gets the financial resources that he needs to be able to get food and just to be able to survive on a daily basis. He's there to collect alms. Most people are just passing him by, and yet here come these two guys like, hey, take a look at us. And so he's thinking like, I'm about to get what I need. Can you imagine his disappointment when the first words he heard from Peter were, hey, silver and gold we do not have? He was probably thinking in his mind, well, if silver and gold you do not have, then a conversation with you I do not want, right? Like, then why are we talking? Silver and gold we do not have. Listen, just because they did not have what he wanted does not mean they didn't have what he needed. And this is the calling of the church. It's the calling of the church. It's to see those who are lost. It's to see those who are broken. It's to see those who are hurting, who think they can fill that lostness and that brokenness and that hurt with things. The calling of the church is not to give people what they want. It's to give them what they need. Even if they don't even realize what they need, we know what they need. We have something that's able to satisfy their hearts and satisfy their souls in a way that silver and gold will never even be able to touch. So Peter takes him by the right hand. He says, silver and gold we do not have, but we'll give you what we do have in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And this, this man who's never walked before, man, bones start to grow and ligaments start to stretch and blood starts to flow. And for the first time in his life, he stands up in his own two feet. And it wasn't a building that did that. It wasn't a big brass door. It wasn't a big crowd of people. It wasn't, it wasn't alms of silver and gold. It was the name of Jesus Christ that put him on his feet. Because it's only in the name of Jesus that we actually find the power that we need. And it's a power that can't be ignored. That that's what's amazing about this text is this happens. Man, the people see like, is that that guy? Is that that guy that we've always seen? Like we've walked past him every single day. He's never walked in his life. And he's, man, he's jumping. And he's praising God. Something was happening that could only be attributed to the power of the name of Jesus and the supernatural power of God. So we've seen superficial evidences of power. What about some supernatural ones? What are supernatural evidences of power? This is what we see from the first few chapters of the book of Acts. First supernatural evidence of power is prayer. It's prayer. Go back to Acts chapter 2. As the 120 believers are gathered together, 
on the day of Pentecost, what are they doing there? They're praying. They're doing what Jesus had told them to do weeks before. He said, go to Jerusalem. Wait, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So they're gathered together. They're praying. They are seeking the Lord. The church was born in a place of utter dependency and desperation for God to move. There's power in our praying. I hope we understand, church, when we are prayerless, we are powerless. Prayer, how much we do or don't pray, really communicates what we believe about God. Like when we're prayerless, what we're really communicating to the Lord is, hey, I can do this on my own. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need you. Or it reveals that we don't really think it's, it's having all that much of effect, but we are only as powerful as a church as we are prayerful. They started in this posture of prayer. That's why our elder team did what we did last Monday morning. Want everything involved in this facility to begin with the dependency upon the Lord because we're gonna just keep facing this temptation. It's to move in there and, and stop trusting in him to move and we start trusting in a building. I mean, a building did not die to save anybody's soul. It's just a building. One day it's going to fall. It's, it's going to be reduced to, to dust and ashes and rubbles and everything else, like everything else in this world. We, we can't put our trust in, in these things. It's totally superficial. We have to remain in this posture of dependency. Understand when we move here soon, we are not going to need to be less dependent on the Lord than we were seven years ago. We're going to need to be more dependent because now there's going to be even more temptation to be self-sufficient. So prayer is evidence of supernatural power. It's showing us that we are depending on God to continue working and moving. Second supernatural evidence is presence. It's the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He told his disciples before he ascended to heaven, he said, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And specifically, it was power to be his witnesses. You will receive power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Listen, Jesus did not send the Holy Spirit for them to stay in that upper room. And the Holy Spirit is not limited to that place of, of worship. You know, I think some of us kind of have this jacked up mentality when it comes to the Holy Spirit, where we, we think like he kind of lives here 24-7. So, so he meets us here and he moves while we're gathered together for worship. But then we walk through the front door, he kind of hangs out here, and then we just catch up the following week. But that's what I love about this miracle is it takes place outside of the place of worship. It takes place outside of the doors. Like, like some of us, I think it blows our minds to think like, man, did you know people can get saved on like a Monday instead of a Sunday? Like we can actually keep sharing this message when, when we go and the Lord will use it in such a way that people can come to faith in him. It's not limited to Sunday morning. It's not limited to where we meet. But there's power in this. He's given us his presence so that we can be his witnesses, so that we will go out and notice the person that nobody else notices so that we will run to the broken and give them what they need, even if it's not what they want. Third supernatural evidence of power is praise. It's giving God the glory that's due his name. They say to this man, look at us, but it wasn't because they just wanted to be seen. People were used to Pharisees wanting to draw attention to themselves and others wanting to draw attention to themselves because they wanted to be seen. But Peter and John weren't saying to this man, look at us because they wanted, them to, wanted this man to see them. They said, look at us because they wanted him to see God. 
Church, this, this is the only reason we should ever be working for the world's attention, not because we want them to see me, not because we want them to see cross-community church, but because we want them to know Jesus. We have what they need. We have what they need, and we want to give them what they need. And so this man, he's healed. It says he begins walking and leaping and praising God. There's power in our praise. That there's power in our praise whenever we are giving God the glory due his name. Man, because of sin, you and I are like little glory thieves. We just want to claim it for ourselves. But we want to point to everything that we've done and everything we've accomplished. And, and because, man, we're, we're just Americans, right? We win world wars and stuff like that. We want to be like, I did that. Nobody gave me a handout. I've worked for everything myself. I worked hard. I tried hard. I gave the effort. I earned this. We have a really, really hard time saying he did that. And the evidence that God is truly moving among us is that we're eager to give him praise. We want to deflect any praise anyone would send to us and turn it only to him because he and he alone is the one who's worthy of our praise. The fourth supernatural evidence of power is preaching. It's the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming his name. Why did the Holy Spirit come? Well, the Holy Spirit came so that we would be witnesses. And why is this miracle even performed? Well, this miracle in Acts 3 is really setting up what happens next in this passage, which is that once again, like he did on the day of Pentecost, Peter proclaims the gospel of Jesus. Listen, whether it's Jesus performing a miracle or a disciple performing a miracle, the miracle is never meant to be the end. The purpose of the miracles was always to validate the message. Jesus did not primarily come to perform miracles. He came primarily to preach a message. So the people would see, okay, if he can heal someone of leprosy, if he can cause someone who's never walked to walk, if he can open up the eyes of a blind man to see, man, if Jesus can do those things, then maybe he can raise my heart from death into life. The purpose of the miracles was always to point to the message. It's to help us see, listen, if I can do this, I can call you out of death and into life. That's why they're performing this miracle. It's not a miracle just for the sake of a miracle. There's never a miracle that is like in that being the end of it all. The point of the miracles is always to validate the message. They go on to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, they pray, they're, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They, they, That's what I love about the book of Acts. You know, man, they pray for like a couple of weeks. Peter gets up and preaches for maybe five minutes and 3,000 people get saved. And I think we probably have the opposite issue in our culture today. We want to pray for five minutes and want to preach for like two weeks. We want to do things in our own strength. And then we're like, well, man, why didn't God move? Are we dependent on him? Are we trusting in supernatural sources of power? Or are we trusting in superficial sources of power? I've shared this quote a couple times in our church's history, and I wanted to come back to it today because we're just kind of lay, relaying some foundations that are important to us as a congregation as we enter into a transitional season. These words are from Jim Elliott, and uh, Jim uh, lost his life as a martyr advancing the gospel back in the middle of the 20th century. And so he wrote these words 60, 70 years ago. And I've always loved this as a challenge, and this has always been a prayer that I've had for our congregation. Jim Elliott wrote these words in the middle of the 20th century. He said, we are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace, while we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with, but we are harmless and therefore unharmed. 
We are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. Meekness must be had for contact with men, but brass outspoken boldness is required to take part in the comradeship of the cross. We are sideliners coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. Listen to this. He wrote, the world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. That has always been my prayer for this congregation. That God would make us dangerous. And I don't mean like in a, in a radical religion type of way. I mean that God would make us dangerous in, in a sense that people would look at us and say, they have a power that I can't comprehend based on anything else I've seen in this world. That they would see in us and they would see through us something that can only be attributed to the supernatural of the power of, of the glory of God. Something that we can't take credit for. Because it's so abundantly clear, like no human being by themselves could make this happen. No human being on their own could make these things happen. But we're not going to be dangerous if, if we are putting our trust for power in superficial things. We're not going to experience this at all. We're not going to be any different from the rest of the world. If our confidence is going to be in a building, if our confidence is going to be in a budget, if our confidence is going to be in the number of people gathering for worship every single week, we are not going to have anything that the world can't ignore. But when God manifests himself among his people and he moves in us and he's moving through us in such a way that can only be attributed to him, that's where people look at us and say, that's not normal. And that's what I want the world to be able to say. That's what I want the world to be able to say. When they see the, the, the church of Jesus Christ and say, there's absolutely nothing happening there that can be attributed to human power that would cause them to believe. If for decades, the church has just placed its confidence in all the wrong things. And we're, we're always prone to these temptations. We praise, place our confidence in people. We place our confidence in programs. We place our confidence in places of worship and material possessions. We place our confidence in these things. And here's the thing. Our, our generation of Christians, we have these things more than any other generation of Christians. Now more than ever, man, we, we've got big crowds. We've got massive places of worship. We've got more programs than we can count. We have more financial resources than any generation of Christians who have ever lived before us. We are not suffering for a lack of people or programs or places or possessions. Where we are seriously lacking as Western Christians is in power. That power is not going to be found in anything but the name of Jesus. And periodically, I think every church just needs to go through a season where it's stripped of all its superficial power so that we can be reminded of the true source of, of our power. And the good news for us today, the good news for us today is that God has provided for us everything that we need to accomplish the work that he's given us to do. He's given us his name. He's given us his word. He calls us to pray. He's sent us his Holy Spirit. God has given us all that we need to faithfully accomplish everything it is he's calling us to do.
You know, uh, this afternoon, we're going to be taking our boys um, over to the air show. They love going to this every couple of years. You know, I've, I've been a, a bunch of times. It's not, you know, it's going to be hot out there and it's going to be loud. Now, I really just prefer Sunday afternoon, go take a nap. But man, I love my boys. And so well, we're going to the air show later this afternoon. And you know, anytime we drive by the air station, uh, Nolan, our, our middle son in particular, man, he loves planes. He loves jets. Um, he was convinced as early as the age of two, he's going to be a blue angel one day. Like that's, it's between that or wrangling um, massive snakes in the Everglades. He hasn't totally decided which career, he's in, he's in second grade. He's got a little while to figure that out. Um, but, but he's, it's going to be one of those two paths. But man, he loves planes. And anytime we go by the air station, he loves seeing the jets on display outside. And he thinks it's fun, you know, that they decorate him at Christmas and stuff like that. But man, when we go to the air station today, he's not interested in the ones on display out front. He wants to see the ones that are actually going to be flying overhead. He's not interested in something that's powerless and something that's harmless in something that's easy to drive by and gets decorated once a year. Man, he wants to see something powerful. He wants to see power. He wants to see speed. He wants to see that grace. He wants to see unity. Man, I, I've seen these guys like a dozen times over. It never gets old, right? I mean, this week has Beaufort not been like the most dangerous place to drive around? You know, the Blue Angels, they're out practicing and nobody's looking at the road, right? Like we're driving, we got our phones, we're like, oh, you know, to get a grainy video, we're putting our lives on the line. Because you, you just can't ignore it. When you know that they're in town, you know they're practicing. Many times you hear that roar, you whip your head around, you're looking, you want to see it. But how many times do we just drive by those jets out on display? You know, we can ignore those because they're monuments. We can't ignore the Blue Angels because that's a movement. That's power, that's grace, and that's unity. That's dangerous, and it's a good dangerous. And it's a dangerous that we want to be close to, and it's a dangerous that others want to be close to because we want to see this, and that is what God is calling us to be. You know, I don't know about you, but I am not interested at all in being a church that operates under a superficial pretense of religion. I have no interest in these things at all. What I'm very interested in is us being a church that operates in the supernatural power of the resurrection and walking in something that can only be attributed to the glory of God. So listen, church family, when we move into this facility here in a few weeks, the day we gather there, a lot of people are going to come to see a monument, and this is my prayer, that we're not going to show them a monument, we're going to show them a movement. They're going to come looking for silver and gold. What we're going to give them is the name of Jesus. We're not giving them what they want. We're giving them what they need because even if it's not what they want, it is what they need. And the power of the name of Jesus is the power to raise them from death to life. It is the power to sustain our church. It is the power for God to continue building his church, which he does with the promise that the gates of hell will never overcome it. I don't want us operating in things that are superficial. Let's commit ourselves to walking in what is supernatural. So you bow your heads with me as we close this morning. Father, we just come to you confessing that it is so easy to put our trust in the wrong things, to put our trust in our own gifting, to put our trust in our own material things, in our own perceived success. Help us to see that all of it will fail apart from you. Help us to see that all of it will fail, all of it will fall apart from you. And Lord, I just continue to pray Will you reduce that facility to dust and ashes before a false gospel could be preached there? Keep our eyes on you.
Let your name be declared above all else. Help us to keep our focus on the right things and to keep the main thing the main thing, which is your good news, which is your word. Don't let us root our trust in anything superficial. Work through us in a way that's supernatural. Supernatural. 